0: America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Sega from Duluth Pack, and this is Duluth Pack's podcast, The Leader of the Pack. Could not be more excited. For our guest today, Mr. Sam Levar from Duluth Coffee Company. And he by the way, he brought some coffee and we got some mugs full of coffee. What kind of coffee is this, Sam? This is Sam? Diego
1: Barca's Coffee from Costa Rica. Diego
0: Barca's from Costa Rica. Yeah.
1: He's, a, he's a 25-year-old coffee producer in Terrazu, Costa Rica. I stayed with him for about a week and a half right before the pandemic.
0: You just stole my question. I was going to say, have you seen, met this guy? I have met him. He's Holy awesome. Mo-
1: he's actually been to Duluth, too.
0: Hold on a second. And it's pretty good, you guys. So Sam Levar is here to not only talk coffee today, but more importantly, Sam was an employee of Duluth Pack for how many years? Nearly eight years. Most of my life. And you left us. I did. And more importantly than just that, we also had employed his older brother, Caleb, and his older brother, Danny. Yep. All three of us. And I know his father, and knew his mother, and so, just this family is incredible human beings. This, the, you know what? I can't say enough about the leave our family. Just incredible human beings. Sam, literally since he was born, has been carrying packs, canoeing, and hiking, and camping, but in specific the boundary waters and the Quetico. But really in specific, I think the Boundary, the waters, boundary waters. In yeah. in inside out. So Sam started working for Duluth Pack, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the day after your sixteenth birthday. Yes. And now he's this 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 crazy man. He's <laughs> flamboyant. He's he's Totally extroverted. <laughs> he's in sales. There's nothing better than sales, is there? And How's that coffee? Delicious. Awesome. And when he first started for us, this guy was scared to death of customers. So shy. Yeah. 16 years old, hiding from customers in the store. But then he moves up. He's like, well, oh, I can't hide forever so then he starts selling like crazy studying the products that we sell not only the Duluth Pack brand but he, he knows our brand inside out in fact he's still on some YouTube videos of
1: ours I think so yeah he, you, know, you are because I looked him up prepping <laughs> for
0: this thing and also Sam uh, moved into a team lead position so he was lead on the floor and then he he, he knew so much of the gear inside out that he's still in college folks and he's promoted to our hard goods buyer position and then moved into an outside sales role and, uh, and then went for bigger and better things in life. Um, and, and, uh, and, but always stayed a very good friend of all of us here at Duluth Pack, and the whole Levar family has been great friends of ours. So now we're going to get to talk about what, what we really called you in for here today. is Several years ago, how many was it? What, what year was that? Two thousand nine, okay. Two thousand nine, folks. Sam's like sixteen years old. Fifteen. It was was right
1: before working at Duluth Pack. So it was right before I started on that sales floor and hid with the canoe pack.
0: So yeah, exactly,
1: (laughs) hiding behind everything.
0: Um, He and his brother, older brother Caleb, conjure up this trip that we want to have. Our dad, Tom, love you, Tom. Drop us off up, so, up somewhere near uh, International Falls on yep. Rainy Lake. On Rainy, yeah. Okay. I'm just prefacing and then we're going to throw it over to Sam here. Uh, and a couple weeks later, they get picked up at Lake Superior after doing the Grand Portage. Grand so Portage. we're talking end to end. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, there are a bazillion people out there that sit and go to sleep at night dreaming to do what you've done, okay? So I call Sam, we get a hold of Sam and say, hey, could you come in and talk about that epic journey that you and Caleb took? And he goes, sure, but I did it again. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> um, that's painful. So anyway, he did it again. So And I he, will do it again in a heartbeat, so, in a heartbeat. Oh, my God. You know what? If I wasn't as old as I am, I could be the guy in the middle just pounding the drum. But yep. I don't even think with an empty pack I could make all those portages you did. But um, tell us about the first trip, how you and Caleb came about that. Mm-hmm. And then tell us a little about that. And then we're going to kind of fast forward into the new trip, which four of you went on. Yep. Um, and so we'll bounce back and forth between those two trips. And Same. then you can end with, well, you know, canoeing like... 8,000 miles wasn't enough for me, so then I put on a hiking pack and decided to do one of the longest hikes in the planet. So
1: we'll finish with that. This guy's a crazy man. It's so, a lot of fun. So, I love being out there. Uh, duh. I must, yes. So so when you and Caleb
0: came up with this when you are 15 years old, yep. tell us about just where did this come from? Was this from mom and dad? Because you know what? There is a story that Caleb canoed his first time before he was born. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, uh,
1: so y- you've been doing this your whole life. How did you come up with this? Well, it's actually, so it's, it's known as the Voyager's highway. Uh, it was actually a trade route from the, the long trip was Hudson's Bay all the way down to Duluth. And, and they would take that the border lakes and it's super interesting. Uh, there's actually a book that's sold at the, the retail store. It's called Voyager's highway. And it talks about all of the history of this area but it's incredible because the border itself was actually made because of that trade route. They they chose the, the border, uh going through all these border lakes, Lac LaCroix and Crooked and Basswood. They, the they border ch- right between United States it's and Canada. Canada. Yep. They they chose that border because it was the most efficient way of traversing the east west. And and so it's it's historical. It's a an area that has been traveled for a long, long time. And it has a copious amount of history. It's amazing, and it was it, we were inspired because of the the book *Distant Fires* um, by Scott Anderson and Steve Baker. Yep. And uh, Scott Anderson has the uh, leadership forum or had the leadership forum in Duluth, and so we read that book *Distant Fires*, and it was sort of an eye opener to us. You know,
0: both of those guys graduated from high school, same high school as me, the year
1: after me. Yeah, that's that's the Duluth community. That's what we love. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, that book, I mean, the, the premise of that book too is just amazing because it's, they're sitting at camp looking across the fire or looking across the lake and seeing a fire in the distance. And, and they say, you know, here we are just chasing distant fires. And I think about that a lot. And, and as you know, I go through these, these trips, I think, uh, you'll start to see that a little bit more. The pace of the trips slows down a little bit and the, uh, the ideology with why i'm out there and why i love being in the woods has changed as as i've gotten older is it, well, is that is that just the
0: when you say the pace slows down i don't think your physical pace no. of the trip slows down mentally but mentally yes. you slow down yep okay because it sounds like the pace of the trip actually as your 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 muscles get in shape and stuff actually mm-hmm. may speed up and as you just really get your portages dialed in absolutely portage yeah get dialed in you you actually probably i would assume move faster
1: absolutely but your
0: brain has slowed down yes
1: and i just i embrace it a little bit differently um so you know the interesting part so i was 15 when we decided to do that trip and at the time it was it was a great time because it was right before my brother was getting married and he knew his life was going to get you know just much busier and and so we said we should do this trip let's take some time and we blocked off, I think we blocked off 21 days to do the trip. But he was uh, just about to get married, so he was a little antsy, and he kind of wanted to get back to his wife. How many days? We did it in nine days. And how many days did you plan? Uh, we planned 21. And it was, it's, just, it's just over 270 miles of paddling. And you got put, your dad dropped you off where? On Rainy Lake. Okay, where on Rainy Lake?
0: Right at the end of the like the the, the park service. Yeah, the public public access there in Rainy. Yep. yep. Okay, as far east as you can go out of International Falls. Yep. Right and that's technically
1: there. outside of the boundary waters it, at it that is. point. That's and why I was asking. Yeah, and so that's you know it's, it's not far out of the boundary waters, but Rainy Lake of any body of water that I've paddled, the Rainy is, is incredibly powerful. I mean, you've spent a lot of time on Rainy. You know it. It uh, we we were running. This next time, we were out running a storm, and it was it was pretty wild. Just massive rollers. To give you an idea how crazy it can be is I used to have a 25,
0: 26-foot boat, and I'd take it up to a buddy's cabin on Rainy, and there's one area where the waves really pack in because they can blow like 40 miles one direction, and then mm-hmm. they get squeezed into
1: Narrows, and we were taking them over the windshield of a boat like that, and these guys are in a canoe. canoe. Yeah, it was amazing. And you know the, the interesting part of that, trip when I was 15 is that brule narrows brule that's the narrows yeah yeah the when I was 15 we uh that was the longest that I had ever paddled I remember our first day you know I'm basically I like to say I'm born and raised in the canoe Mm -hmm. um with family being you know born and raised in Ely and just being in Duluth I had spent a lot of time as a young kid in the woods and up in the bond But never really did anything of endurance or anything in, in length. And I remember the first day going across Rainy, and I think we paddled, it was 21 miles. And that was the longest that I'd ever paddled in my life. And, and your big brother's behind you. Yep. I'm up in the front I'm, of the boat. I'm bow. assuming yeah. you're the motor and he's the rudder? Yep, yep. All and, right. uh, you know, the wild part is on that trip in 2009, that 21 miles was the shortest day that we paddled. And the the longest day did
0: did, did everyone hear that? Twenty one miles was the shortest day you had. Yeah, the the longest day we had was forty seven. How many portages? I remember the day you did forty seven miles was epic number of portages too. Because well,
1: no, that one. So the the reason that we were able to carve so much water is because we didn't have many portages. Because that's early on when okay you go right as you enter into. Uh, the routers and you go in through Little Vermilion, Okay. And you go across the, the Loon Portage. That's one of the lifted portages. They used to have a, a boat that would be able to, or a, a track that would be able to pull boats over. The trolley? Yeah, the trolley. Yeah, you've probably been there, yeah. And so really, the, it was the, the first day was a good, good paddle, and, and it was 21 miles, and then I remember the second day, so I'll, I'll correct myself here, the second day was the shortest day of it all because we were windbound. We paddled for about four hours in the morning and couldn't get anywhere, and we got really frustrated and also, I was you know 15 years old, so we, it's hard to paddle through the middle of a storm if you're you know, that small and you don't have a bunch of gear. We had We had planned a food drop, which we'll get to, but we had planned a food drop uh, on Moose Lake in Ely, and my dad was going to meet us on the lake to, to do this food drop. I remember that yeah and so, so we didn't have you know a bunch of gear, but we had pretty much 15 days of gear with us and that first day was really frustrating and or the second day because we we couldn't paddle at all and we were just sitting and i remember playing just game of cribbage after game of cribbage after game of cribbage <laughs> and i still have the the tallies somewhere in a journal and i think it was like 21 games that i was up on my brother it was it was a whooping. Well that's why you kept playing because that's why he wasn't playing. Kid, <laughs> Caleb, knowing
0: Caleb, he's not gonna quit until he
1: wins. He wanted to read at that point and I said, <laughs> We're playing cribbage. And so it was it was a total of a day and a half being windbound and we got just anxious. Super, super anxious because you don't have service and we also didn't have phones. This was, you know, flip phone era too. And uh, and we needed to meet our dad at Moose Lake on a specific date. And so I said, Well let's just get up early this next morning and paddle. So that was the day that we put 47 miles in. And we got up at, at 4 in the morning, and we were on the water before 5. And
0: I've boated 47 miles up on SAG in a day. It's a lot of
1: work. With a 25 <laughs> horse, and I'm tired. Yeah. And the, the thing, like what you were mentioning before, is you get into a rhythm. And, and to me, like, I, I'll probably reference it a few times, but I call it carving water when I'm paddling. Like, you, you get into this rhythm of paddling where, honestly, I could paddle all day, but it takes a little breaking point. You know, it's getting through that first, the aches and your little soreness, but then once you're in rhythm, you can paddle forever. How many days to make it through that? I've heard it from other
0: people who've done epic journeys, you know, the guys who go up to James Bay yep. and things like that, and, and uh, do the Blood River and all those trips, and, and they, they all talk about, once you've worked your way through those aches and pains, mm-hmm. and you've kind of those muscles have built up it. How long does that take?
1: I like to say three days. Okay. And, and for me, more than anything, more than physically and and the body, it's the mind. And I think for me after three days, I'm so into the woods that you'd have to pull me out of it. And, and it's really hard to, uh, it, you just get into a, a way of life of, you know, that the tear down of your camp in the morning is, so easy and efficient, and you know where everything is. I and do you know this, where you goes. do that. We don't even talk, yeah, you don't even talk, and especially that early in the morning. You know, we just get up, and Cale would start making food, and I would break down the tent, and we would be on the water in 10 minutes at that point. But you know, the first couple of days are slow, and you're feeling a little bit more lethargic, and yeah, the achy joints and everything. And I, the and you took a lead sled, yes, we took a lead sled, which plays a huge role in the Grand Portage. But uh, lead sled's an aluminum canoe, folks. Yeah, we call it the lead sled. It's, <laughs> it's this self-proclaimed name. It's a, I think it's a 71 or 72 Grumman, and uh, it's a heavy, heavy boat. What's that thing weigh roughly? Do you know? I think it was with the yoke on it, it was just under 100 pounds. And uh, thank you to my brother Caleb for carrying it on every portage when I was 15. <laughs> that was great. He carried it every single portage, but I double packed, so I had two packs every portage. All right, explain what that means to people who don't know what double packing is. Double packing: is. one pack on the front and one pack on the back.
0: One Duluth pack on the front. Yes. One Duluth pack on the back.
1: And we had, uh, yeah, we had a three cruiser, and a it was a three uh, classic, and. Between those two packs, we packed our entire gear, and I would carry both of those. And one was our gear pack, and then the other was our food and kitchen pack. And both of them, uh, tump lines you know, the pack on the back. Like, I couldn't have done that trip without a tump line, and which is something that, uh, I think most people today don't really understand tump lines. Okay. And, <laughs> You know, indulge people. Because you know what? The tump line was patented through Duluth Pack. Yes. And the the tump is something that's super interesting, too, because it has a lot of history and heritage. And it's something... The voyageurs, when they would would be transporting hundreds and hundreds of pounds of of pelts and trade goods over these portages, and this is like 1700s, 1800s, and they didn't have shoulder straps. They only had tump lines. And so they would put... 90 to 180 pounds on their back, but it's effectively dispersed. The weight is all dispersed from the tump line. And this tump line goes from the pack on your back, and it goes over the, the top of your shoulders and goes onto the crown of your forehead.
0: Where most of our hairlines should be. Yes, yes. Correct?
1: I have a lot of we're, hair now. You so. know what?
0: We're, we're, <laughs> where Sam's hairline is, put it where Sam's hairline is, not
1: where my hairline <laughs> is. And it'll feel much better. Mm-hmm and it's really interesting because i think most people think that that would be bad for the neck or it would be strenuous on your on your neck but it's actually if you have it positioned right your your back is is straight and your neck is straight and for me having shoulder straps and then being able to just tilt the head forward a little bit with the tumpline and relieve the shoulders and when you're doing miles of portages it makes a difference well you
0: know not to make this a commercial but the tump line, which you said, it, most people don't have a clue how to use them, and so they put them up way too low on their forehead. Mm-hmm. It pulls their head back. They get a stiff neck. At, that night at the campfire, they're sitting there staring up at the stars, and everyone's going, what are you looking at? There's no stars out <laughs> there going, because I can't move my, my neck head. They yeah. used it wrong. Mm-hmm. If you use it right and you literally rotate your head forward, stick your butt out, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a yep. important part of it. Staying stick your butt body. out. Yeah. You make this perfectly straight line with your spine leaning forward a little bit, and it's like, holy crap, you can haul a lot of stuff. Yeah. Even a guy, in fact, I have a horrible back. I did some very stupid things when I was young, mm-hmm. and I have a bad back. Carrying canoe packs does not hurt my back, if especially you right, when I yeah. carry them right or get them off my shoulders, rotate those shoulders forward by using a tump line correctly.
1: Mm-hmm. I, can, I can attest to that, a guy who has a bad back. Yeah. And I remember the, you know, in the store, we would see people would be really confused with tump lines. Like it's a, it's something that a lot of people think it's a shoulder strap. And the the thing, especially with the, how they're manufactured is you, you have to use them correctly and they're great. Tump lines are fantastic. But more often than not, I see people take them off and I've been on trips without my own gear and somebody pulled their tump line off and it, you know, it, kills me a little bit inside because i'm like oh this what you do just made it harder for me <laughs> yeah but yeah the the portaging aspect of it that's what really slows down mileage and pace and and so the more that you're in and out of the canoe that's what has slowed down uh the overall mileage and for us you guys must just get a system going so yeah. when you when you hit that other
0: shore yep with a lead sled you can hit the shore yeah actually um the shore. you can actually hit it um You'd bail out, you're in the front, you're yep. in the bow, and immediately you start gathering either the paddles and the canoe packs, and yep. Caleb's getting the canoe, and
1: whether he had the fishing pole strapped in, whatever, yep. and it's just like bingo, bango, bongo, and away yeah. you're going. Nothing is loose, and that's, that's the biggest aspect about traveling on water like that is no loose things. That's, canoe packs are designed to hold everything, and you put everything into your packs. There's nothing loose, even your water bottle. When you hit shore... You grab the packs. Person grabs the canoe, and you
0: hike across. So you guys are hauling the bricks. Yep. And you got to get a hold of Tom now because you're you're you had some days where you're like 40 miles mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And one day I remember you both telling me because you wrote a Caleb wrote a story about the trip. Yep. Um, I, I forget the number the maximum number of portages one day, and it's like oh my goodness, this is just is, exhausting. This is yeah. This is painful to even read. Um,
1: so you have to. If I remember correctly, you had to get a hold of your dad? Yep. Yeah, we, we had to get a hold of him. I think it was on Basswood when we ended up getting service. And and that was pretty much uh, the same day or the next day is when we met him on moose.
0: And you're like, we're hauling the bricks. Yeah. In fact, don't bring us any more food. We got to get rid of some because yes. we have too much because we're I said, really bring me hauling. some
1: fruit. I just want fruit. I want some fresh fruit. Because, you know, we've been eating. Everything's dried. And at that point, you know... We were pretty good with food. Uh, we had a lot of the uh, cash cash like, mm-hmm. uh, and everything was dried. We are great with food, but the, the thing that we realized is after that 47-mile day, we started pacing way faster than, than we anticipated we would. And so at that point when we met our dad for the food drop, it ended up being a, a food- Pickup. Pickup, <laughs> where he took, he, you know, he did give us some things like more oatmeal for breakfast. Um, but the the majority of the weight was actually pulled from our packs, and and we ended up getting back on the water with less weight than when we arrived there.
0: All right, we got to take a little divergence from this conversation now because Tom Levar's in on this now. Uh huh. Any of you have ever heard the story of Dorothy Moulter, the root beer root beer lady? Sam, can you indulge us the Tom Levar story? Yes. And we want to talk about people listen to a tump line story yes so dorothy Moulter was about halfway from the east side to the west side of the boundary water so i mean we're talking dead center in the boundary um, waters the the root beer lady she she made root beer out of lake water and and whatever you do to make root beer and sassafras and, and yeah, sassafras and People would come in and she would give it to them. She would not charge people. People would leave things and leave mm-hmm. money and stuff. But but some way, she perform. She ended up getting a refrigerator.
1: Yes. Yeah, Dorothy was one of the last people living in the Waters. Yes. And so she was kind of grandfathered in. And uh, as the Wilderness Act came into play, she still lived up there. And so she had a cabin up on Knife Lake. And actually, perfect timing because... Uh, Moose Lake, where we met our food drop, is the access to Knife Lake. So that's where my dad went. And, uh, you know, the the irony with this is my brother worked for an outfitter, and he was hauling a group up to the Bonge Waters, and he asked them, he said, what's the craziest thing that you've seen in the Bonge Waters? And they all kind of thought about it for a second, and one of the guys says, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. And the, the absolute craziest thing I've ever seen was I saw somebody carrying a refrigerator on their back going across portages and my brother said no way what year and he said i think it must have been 72 right 72 74 and caleb starts describing my dad and says was he about five nine five eight balding pretty stout guy said yeah that was him he was carrying it on this come on your dad had (laughs) hair then please (laughs) tell me he he was losing it he was losing it but yeah they they witnessed my dad carrying and and it's funny because growing up it was always one of those myths one of those stories that you know dad and some of the uncles and family would talk about how he carried this refrigerator into the boundary waters for dorothy malter and uh the way he tells the story is it was yeah in the 70s and she had always used a, an ice house to keep, keep things cold, a true ice house that was underground that you store ice in all year. She'd cut ice on the lake in she, the winter, yep. put it up underground, and she'd use it all summer. Yep, and that's how she would, yeah, she would cool the, the root beer down. And uh, so she needed a refrigerator at this point, and so it was a propane refrigerator. So it was 200-pound propane tanks and a propane refrigerator and strapped it into a frame pack, and he had to have somebody help him off the ground because he was so bottomed out with it. But they uh, catamaran two canoes together and put a sheet of plywood across them and, and trolled it in. with. Because back then, too, you could have a motor. And uh, so they motored all the way up. You can't motor um, across a portage. Nope, you can't motor across portage. So they carried it. He carried that fridge and, and 200-pound propane tanks. So wow. from how many portages, roughly, is
0: that? So, you, I so this is not like, Moose. hey, I go across one lake, I go across one little portage, and I'm into Knife Lake.
1: Yep. That's not what we're talking about. I want to say it's five, five portages, and and none of them are really lengthy, but it's that in and out, and it's just a lot of work. So you're talking an old Cervell,
0: propane refrigerator, yep. two 100 pound cylinders, you could do it across lakes. Okay, I got a three horse or a four yeah. horse on the back, whatever. And now I got to hit the shore, tear all this down, portage the refrigerator across, portage the 200-pound cylinders across, portage two canoes across, the lashing equipment to get the fridge in the middle of two canoes because, you know, I'm making a catamaran, and do this five times to get them into Dorothy Moulter. Yep. Yeah. By the way, this is a true story, folks. It's incredible. This this is a true story.
1: Yeah, and Dorothy, Dorothy was actually pretty close to our grandpa, uh... Our grandpa's cabin is actually the guest cabin at the Dorothy Melter Museum. So they moved it log by log from Burnside and put it into the museum. That was your grandfather's? Yep.
0: Yeah, Seriously. So the, the
1: guest cabin, when you first arrive at Dorothy Melter Museum, Yes. Yeah. grandpa's cabin. Did not know yeah. that. Yeah. So they, I mean, the Ely history and heritage, it's a community. It's a small community. So everybody knew each other pretty well. And dad was born and raised there. So. That is so That's sweet. the connect to the Boundary Waters area, and that's... Really, why I, I say we were born and raised in the canoe is because we spent a lot of time up there. A lot you of still, time do. still do. <laughs> still do. Still do. do. So,
0: that, that is a true story. His dad brought Dorothy Moulter, the Root Beer Lady. By the way, you can get uh, the Root Beer Lady's Root Beer at the Duluth Pack store, mm-hmm. folks. Um, and we sell a boatload of it. Anyway. Um, he brought her first refrigerator. So I knew you were getting close to that mm-hmm. when you were talking about where you and Caleb were at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was about midway through the trip. So that's uh, Ely Access, Moose Lake, pretty much dead center in, in that trip. And, and so we, uh, from, from Moose Lake then, we pushed on. And I remember, I mean, we were, we were young. We had a lot on our mind, and we had never done a trip like this. But I remember hitting Gunflint then. So this was days later. But Gunflin is towards the end of the trip. You know Gunflint. Far well. east yep. end of far of of the east boundary end. waters. And I remember we we made a call because we needed to get a ride from Grand Portage from up north. And so we had to we had to arrange the time. And so at that point we said, all right, two days from here we'll we'll meet you at Grand Portage. Come get us. And it was funny because we couldn't even get a ride then. Dad had to wait two more days. So that's we we stayed in Grand Portage at an RV site, which was kind of funny. But, uh, you, you came through Silver Falls, right? Um, into yep, SAG? Yep, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Do you have to push the canoe way up and up and over? Yep. Over the, yeah, the, the little, the dam there. Yeah. Yep. And so the, when we were at Gunflint, I remember Caleb looking at me and saying, you know, we can just call the quits here. Like we've, we've paddled, you know, 200 and some miles at this point. We don't need to finish it. Meaning paddle the Pigeon River and do the Grand Portage, which is a, 8.42-mile portage. and 8.42-mile uh, portage. It's a hiking trail. It's not a portage. And that's, you know, the, to, to their credit, it's in really good shape. The Grand Portage is in phenomenal shape. And uh, I would, yeah, it's an easy, easy portage, honestly. The, After the issues, how many
0: days yeah. and how many miles? You're conditioned well, at was, that point. This is yeah. an easy. So what do these two fellas feel like doing? It's like, let's go for a little jog today. And so they finish going all the way across the Boundary Waters. Mm -hmm. Now they have this 8.42-mile portage to Mm -hmm. do. They decide, hey, I got a good idea. Let's see how fast we can do it and run the whole thing.
1: Well, the thing is, is when you're carrying that sort of weight, you don't want to do it slow. It's just kind of like... I don't want to do it at all. Put your head down and get through it. And I think it was... uh, I mean, we weren't running, running, but I think I know it was less than two hours and forty-five minutes that that we did it in. So it was we were pacey, um, no and stops. It, and yeah. you, you
0: actually, you guys, if I remember, you went and touched Lake Superior yep. to say, hey, yeah, Don we did it, yeah. Did it.
1: And yeah, so we were able to throw the canoe into Lake Superior. The Grand Portage uh, Historical Society let us go through the the area, and that was really fun because it's again, it's a very a uh, traditional trip, and uh, it's been done for hundreds of years with the voyageurs. And so, to us, it was paying homage to the area and to the culture, and uh, yeah, that trade and relation between Native Americans and and the French Canadians. It's pretty, it's impressive. It's our history. So,
0: so folks, we get a hold of Sam to talk about this awesome trip. I mean, we could go, I could go on for hours about this trip because I get a list of questions that. It's like, well, this is going to take up about 42 podcasts. (laughs) And so we get a hold of Sam and said, hey, would you be interested in talking about the trip that you and Caleb did? And he goes, yeah, but I can one-up this trip. Because it wasn't painful enough the first time we decided to do it again. But in between doing these two trips, Sam and his other brother, Danny, who also worked for Duluth Pack at one time, We're going to do the Superior Hiking Trail. I forget how long it is. It's about 300 miles. Okay. And it's not easy, folks. This is up and down. This is mosquito bites and black flies and all this stuff. And I'm I'm not trying to paint the dark picture. It's tough. It's a very hard hiking trail. It's a tough hiking trail. And I know it because Sam beat me up on it once. We'll get into that in a little (laughs) while here. And he and his brother Dan decide, you know what? Let's start up the north end of it, and uh, let's hike the whole Superior Hiking Trail. But being Levar's, uh, they decide, you know what, let's just haul the bricks the first few days. And I think if I remember, it's, it's, it's raining, mm-hmm. and that northern part of it there is up and down, up and down, up and down. And I guess Danny didn't quite have it in him, huh? It
1: was, it was, the, it was both of us. And so, you know, the thing we put we put that trip up to a 10 day hike and i would never advise that ever uh so you're going to average
0: 30, 30 miles a day. a day
1: and and that's that's crazy talk like that is that is wild that's merit so that's
0: young people talking out yes. of their minds yes and
1: okay. and we had i mean granted this is a couple of years after doing the voyager route so paddling and i remember specifically after just beating ourselves up because when the we had five days of rain just constant rain on the spearhead control and my ankles were just beat up knees were beat up feet i mean they were pruny for five days straight like the the feet were just disgusting
0: and, and danny got really blistered
1: up super blistered up and we uh we got to a point where i remember saying like i'm not having fun i love being in the woods and i'm not having fun so why are why are we doing this you know we're just beating ourselves up and we did i think it was Three days of just about thirty-mile days, and we said this is this is far too much. So you did almost a third of it. Yep. In three days. Three days. In the most horrific weather you could think about. And and also the uh, gear-wise, you know, we weren't prepped and packed for it like uh, like I would be now. Uh, meaning, I've I've learned a lot about gear. You and mean about, like you did? Yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, and that mm-hmm. was that was kind of the so I I tried I attempted it. This would have been probably five, six years ago at this point. And it was a really humbling experience just because I I love being outside. And it was one of the first times that I didn't enjoy it. I was frustrated. And I've never – and I think that trip, too, also uh, helped change this next Boundary Waters trip, the big trip that we took, because it – we were talking before this, the mentality changes a lot. And I enjoy it in a very different way now. I love the slow pace um, I'm not doing it to to check it off. I'm not doing it to break records. I'm doing it that because I love question. it. That was my question. Are yeah. you this time? Did you? Was it like let's not try to do it record speed? Yes, hundred percent.
0: Okay, so we're gonna take a little. Let's let's take a little pause there because the pause is. They've done all this. Sam has done this. He's done the whole Voyager's route. He attempted. The and did a third in the horrific weather of the uh, Superior Hiking Trail. I get a hold of him, and he goes, well, I can one-up that. And I go, what'd you do now? And he's like, well, we redid that whole Voyager trip, and there was four of you this time? Four of us, yeah. And, uh oh, fisticuffs, I can see it coming now. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, and then, uh, by the way, they dropped me off a pack at the uh, Grand Portage, and uh, I decided to walk my way back to Duluth 300 plus miles. So let's fast forward to
1: 2020. Yes, 2020, of course, the year of the pandemic, the year that we will all remember, uh, I had ample amount of time. And so that was a, it was a great opportunity to get outside. And, uh, it was ended up being just about 600 miles in under five weeks. And talk about social distancing. Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. Just the way I like it. So did you start at Rainy again? We started at Rainy, and it was four of us, both my brothers, so Dan and Caleb, and my good buddy Brian. And Brian and I have paddled a lot over the past, now, decade.
0: Okay, so he wasn't thrown into this Levar
1: Levar soup right out of the chute. Well, he was. I mean, the Levar dynamic is there, but... As far as being outside and, and Boundary Waters, Brian has a lot of experience. Okay. And he's actually changed a lot of how, how I approach the woods and that, that process of slowing down. And we do, and for this trip, did all of our cooking over the open fire. We don't bring, sto- well, we'll bring a stove just for emergency and backup. But even our coffee in the morning, everything is, we have a hand grinder. We grind everything by hand. And we start a fire and get coffee did you drink. I'll do with coffee, of course. (laughs) Jeez, son, how did that work? Let me have a sip. Of course. Hold on a second here. Yeah, it was. uh, You know, it's something that we we've learned to love is the cooking aspect and the the preparing and the process is really what it comes down to. Uh, Over this past year, I've reflected on what I call the ing, the process of doing versus checking it off and being done with it or thinking about it. I would rather much do it and be a part of it and in that process. And so this, this trip that we took, we had, uh, we had all the time that we needed. And we had two weeks blocked off for this Boundary Waters trip. Now my brother Caleb and I had done it already nearly 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And uh, we knew that we could do it. So it wasn't, it wasn't a challenge at this point. It was more of enjoyment. And so we took all 14 days, and we went slow at some portions, and we paddled hard in other portions. When you paddled hard, was it like ah, this is just kind of a, if you will, a boring part of it? So let's just
0: get through it and just no, you know, just it dig was in?
1: Uh, well at the beginning. You know that first section because you're dealing it, the the only downside with that trip is because it's border lakes, yep. you you deal with motors on some lakes. Sure. So because the any lake that the Canadians can get motor access to you got motor access on, and so La Croix and basswood, for example, like you 're going through motors you 're not into quiet time either. yeah you're not into quiet time, and a lot of that doesn 't happen until that second half of the trip and there there's portions and, and parcels where you 're really remote and out there. but the good part is is that since there was no border travel this past year, it was pretty quiet it was it was a lot less traffic than, than normal, even though the boundary waters got hammered with traffic last year. Uh,
0: I have a cabin a half a mile into Canada. I haven't been there in a year and a half. Yeah. How talk much about a that? Is that. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I literally can go and boat up to the border and look at my cabin and go, Still there standing. it is. Yeah. And uh, it's like, talk about social distancing. It's on an island in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere.
1: Yeah. Can't go there. Can't go. <laughs> yeah. I crossed the border six times last year in six different trips. Because you know you're paddling on the border, so you're inevitably going to be on Canadian waters. Oh. But oh, we didn't that. hear that. <laughs> Ooh, come and get this guy. Handcuffs. Yeah. yeah, and so that you know the the border because route... you
0: were actually going to infect a lot of
1: people. Yes, there. up there there's Where a you lot were. of people. There's a lot of people, <laughs> and yeah, so that you know the border route is interesting in that sense because you're you're on the border itself, and and so you you deal with like uh, for example Lac La Croix a great. Great example. Hey, it's, we
0: got to take a hard right here. Even though the, the smart route says go straight, I got to take a hard right here and go around because I'm going to go into Canada
1: and I don't have the, the proper papers, papers on me to go into Canada yes. at this time. Yep. And so, yeah, you end up lengthening a trip to get through the yeah, bureaucracy of it. Yep. And, and that's, you know, the fun thing is, is that that Isn't border... not where it's, it is what it is? Yes, absolutely. And that, that border actually wasn't uh put in firmly put into place until the 60s until the 1960s because it's just lakes and you're reading this voyager's highway they talk about how in the olden days there were no laws nature was was the governing force there weren't i mean whether that was trade and relations um, anything nature was the governing force and so when you're that far up there like you don't think about the bureaucracy. There is no borders. You're well, how, in the woods. How
0: about, and I know you guys went through some, and I know there's some on SAG, where, where, where I am up there, is the, the Hudson Bay
1: trading stations,
0: mm-hmm. trading posts yeah. up there. I yeah, mean, this they're, is, they're this all over. They're on are there.
1: Yeah, on Basswood, you'll find footings. You know, Basswood is just a, is a lake with a wild amount of history and heritage. You've got uh, all sorts of logging and everything done up there. And yeah, the, the area itself is just rich, rich with history. And that that second trip was was amazing because we were able to take some time and really enjoy it. And when we got towards the end of it, L- lead sleds. We were in Kevlars. <laughs> we were in Kevlars. Hey, you know what? Yeah. That's
0: called maturing. Uh huh. These guys are getting well, mature here. You know,
1: granted, we did buy a used one and patched it up, and you know, we didn't want to bring a brand new canoe and just beat it up on that trip because, especially like the Pigeon River that it can get pretty wild. Uh, the Pigeon River can get pretty wild. The, the worst portage from 2009 and 2020 remains the, the absolute worst portage I've ever been on is uh, going from south into, or self follow into the Pigeon River. And it is, it is just terribly maintained because it's not in the Boundary Waters. Mm-hmm. And so Forest Service isn't up there. I, I think I'm gonna have to get back up there with my saw. Because it's, it's like historic. Now, 10 years later, it's still a terrible portage. And it's long, it's about a mile. So, quick question. Mm-hmm. Who canoed with who? I canoed with my buddy Brian. Okay. And the two brothers. We put the brothers in the other canoe. How many fist fights? Zero. But it was. That's awesome. That trip was. It was awesome for that, too, is getting everybody together and, and enjoying it. You know, of course, dad is jealous because he, he would have loved to do that sort of thing. And, uh, and he he was able to watch us do it and love it and enjoy it and to the point it, live that, it through you i 'm living yes. it I mean if you notice how much yeah. smiling i 'm doing i 'm sl- so
0: i 've spent a lot of time up there, but not near as as much as you guys have, not near as hardcore as you guys have, all that stuff but i 've done a lot of it, and i 'm sitting here smiling mm-hmm. the whole time because i'm i 'm thinking i got these visions in my mind right now as you 're talking about some of this stuff you guys have done and and, and now you're cooking over open fire instead of cooking over, you know, with gas and, and, and all that and, and just kind of going back to retro, you yeah. know, doing it like retro and, and other than the canoes because that's just intelligence to yeah. get lighter canoes <laughs> as you get older. Let's talk just a brief moment about lots of eagles. Yep. Bald eagles. Yep. How many wolves? Didn't see any wolves. Did you hear them? Didn't hear them. Didn't hear them on this trip? No. Nope. Okay. Moose? Moose. How many moose do we see?
1: I think it was three this trip okay last trip was only two yeah okay yeah uh,
0: um deer deer didn't see bear, any bear. no you know, bears well th- these guys know how to deal with their packs yes at night yep. deal with their food deer w- deal with cleaning up camp we,
1: we even took photos of a couple uh bear bag hangs that we had because it was that good it was Perfect. It was like the perfect bear bag hang. Maybe you can get those photos <laughs> yeah. to our marketing team Absolutely. and we'll post those on a <laughs> blog and like on, it, when, and when you, this. When you throw it you that good do it. and you take a photo, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fun. You, not like you guys haven't done this before. Yeah.
0: So now you guys get all the way through the Boundary Waters. You guys, this is unbelievable because this is a long way, some brutal portages, some unbelievable where you're sitting there counting. You just start... I'm assuming counting your strokes at mm-hmm. times, where you just get in your rhythm and you just you don't even talk for hours at yeah. a time. You're just in the rhythm, in the moment, listening to the water, listening to the wind, listening to the birds, listening to oh, if if northern or a bass jumped over there, whatever. Um, you guys get to the end of the Gunflint or the end of the, the the Grand Portage. Yep. And now Sam gets this cockamamie idea that you know, hey. St- you know, myself and Danny didn't finish the the Superior hiking trail, so I might as well have them
1: drop me off a pack and walk to Duluth. Yep, it was amazing. So that, what the hell's wrong with you? That, that aspect was was my favorite part about it was the switching of gears, yet still being in the trail head and trail mind. Okay, uh, I was conditioned at that point. I was, but I different was muscles. Very different muscles. Very, but. Granted, getting done with the grand portage uh, basically a 9 mile portage yep. and then switching packs the the worst part was is that i had packed that hiking pack uh you know 2 weeks ahead of time before the canoe trip and so i didn't you know i basically threw stuff together just threw my pack together and i had way too much gear way too much gear when i started that hike and it was it was such a challenge because the first 100 miles of, of a hiking trip like that, you just can't fathom being able to do that for hundreds of miles. And, and you did it 300 plus. 300 plus, yeah. and it, uh, This was after getting out of a canoe on 200... 275. And then, 275 yep. miles. And so it was uh, what, what was really it remarkable. felt good to get off your butt, though. Oh, Yeah. Get moving until your legs start hurting and your feet start hurting. <laughs> but I was surprised. I, uh, I was in really, really great shape for it. The, one of the strangest aspects about an extended trip like that is metabolism. And I, uh, I lost about 20 pounds of, of weight over that five-week portion. There you are. There you are. That's, you know what? That's all and I you need to do. And you know the craziest do.
0: Part? I to go like 550 I was, miles.: I was
1: eating nearly five pounds of food a day. Oh my gosh. I was cruising through calories. And and so much of that is because typically your metabolism takes a few days to lag. So when people do a, a long through hike, they end up packing too much food at the beginning because your metabolism isn't there yet. And then it catches up and then it's just rolling. And I ended up so I hiked that solo, but I ended up hiking with some great friends we just met people on the trail. And we, we hiked side by side for days, miles on end. Did you
0: really? Unbelievable. And then they'd finish their section
1: and you'd meet up with some others? Yep. Yeah, and so we kind of leapfrogged with each other and had some great times. Uh, just meeting that, that atmosphere of people out on the trail was incredible, just super, super incredible. And the funny part was, like, everybody knew. I mean, I looked pretty haggard, and everybody knew at that point that I'd been in the woods for a while. And a big aspect of it was I was able to eat I'm non-stop. assuming you kind of stunk. Yeah, I stunk a little bit. Yeah, I looked pretty homeless. Yeah, <laughs> it was, I have some fun photos. but uh, I, I want to see those. Yeah, it was great. I let everything go. It was, it was a lot of fun. And the, the aspect of that community was, was amazing because I, I went and I thought it was going to be more of a solo journey than it ended up being. I ended up meeting awesome people. And because Sweet. most of the big thru-hikes, the AT and the PCT, were closed in 2020, uh, a lot of people ended up doing the Superior Hiking Trail Ooh. instead. And those are the people, and we can attest to... Hardcores. Hardcores. And they all say that that terrain of the Superior Hiking Trail is just ruthless. So you ended up how many days of the hike? Uh, the hike was, uh, that would have been... So fourteen days? Okay. Yeah. It's so almost that. fourteen 12. days and yep. fourteen days. You kind of yep. did
0: a you know, little under five weeks. You did five hundred and fifty, five six hundred miles between canoe and hiking to Duluth. Yep. When are you writing a book? Maybe when I do a bigger trip. <laughs> what the hell are you thinking, <laughs> Sam? I gotta get to Hudson's. No, okay, that's cool. <laughs> Write a second book. But yeah. you know what, you know how many of us, like you and my your dad and myself, wanna read? Because mm-hmm. you guys, somebody journaled this thing.
1: Yeah. Please tell me yeah, somebody journaled I've got this. Yeah, i
0: journaling, yeah. You guys have got to write a book on this because there's a bunch of people out there, like your dad and me, mm-hmm. who will never be able to do
1: this at our ages with our physical conditions and get this done. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing the Superior Hiking Trail every year now. So maybe I'll write a book after 10. Okay. And I'm going to write a book because I did
0: one day of the Superior Hiking Trail with Sam. We, do you remember? we? I remember. Did this. He was an employee of ours, and we, uh, we didn't rent. We actually adopted a section of it. Yep. So in the spring and fall, you've got to go through and clean this whole thing up. So I said, well, I want to see what this is all about. So I still do it. Ryan, our sales manager, Sam and myself, we get all of our packs and everything. These knuckleheads, well, maybe I was a knucklehead, they give me the heaviest pack. But I was smart enough to pack this little brown bottle in it. And we clean up, and remember, it started pouring right away in the morning. It started mm-hmm. pouring. It's like, are you kidding me? Anyway, and it starts getting cold and cold and cold. It's in the spring. And uh, please tell me you were legal drinking age when we did that. Okay. Yeah. And we get to the end, and these guys didn't know I had a bottle of Crown Royal in there. We went seven miles one day cleaning the trail the whole day, and we were tired. I uh-huh. was tired. I don't know about you guys. We set up tent. We invite Ryan to stay in the tent with us, but no, that's not good enough. I'm going to set up my hammock over here, fellas, because that's a two-man tent. And that's going to be too tight for me. Well, you can face the other way, you knucklehead Ryan. So Sam and I are like, okay, I don't care. I'm getting we'll my, warm. I'm getting my yeah. sleeping bag. I'm going in there because they're calling for snow this night. So we, we, I pull off this top of this Crown Royal as we finish the whole day. We try to get a fire going. Everything's soaking wet. You remember yep. that? It starts sleeting and kind of snowing out. We have the tent set up. We throw it. We're in our rain gear and everything, and we had our coffee mug. So I just was like, well, we got a bottle of Crown Royal. I'm not carrying this thing out with anything in it. It's going to be heavy. So we pour it. Well, Sam. Sam. I didn't finish it. No No, I remember having to finish your (laughs) Crown Royal for you here. I was just saving it it for you. I I know someone had to sleep at night and have a warm belly (laughs) in them. So Ryan decides he's going to sleep in his hammock. It snows all night. We wake up. Sam and I sleep like grizzly bears. Uh, Wake up with like inch, maybe inch and a half of snow, something like this in the morning. Ryan's up, and it's like, dude, you've been up for a while? Because there's tracks everywhere. He goes, what do you mean up? I never slept. It's like, why didn't you come in the tent? He's had coffee made, everything else Sam and I are like in cocoons in there. It's snowing out. We were warm, Warm yeah. as heck. I remember it was like toasty in there. And, uh, and poor Ryan froze his butt. All yeah. night. So I've hiked with this guy for a day, and he just about killed me. So it doesn't, I can tell you that there are bigger trips to come for mm-hmm. Sam. You will hear from Sam on this podcast again when he, like, says, you know what, hey, Tom, I just finished going all the way to James Bay or Hudson Bay or something like this on this epic canoe trip, and uh, we're going to talk about it because, you know what, please, do write a book. Maybe. Write a book about the second one. We're going to keep working on Sam here because I (laughs) want to read this and you guys want to read this. So Sam Levar, the Levar family, awesome, awesome people and i'll tell you what the you can learn so much from people about how you should live life and what what is really important in life and in family and all those things so sam thank you for being here we Thanks appreciate it thank you for telling the story we thought this was gonna be one story and it turns in we sh- we could have gone on for like five hours yeah. here I tell we're you. talkers too. but please stay tuned continue to listen to Leader of the Pack, because we're going to have more Sams on, and we'll have Sam again. And until next time, unplugged from the indoors, and like Sam, recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast, and we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack. And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American Jobs and Buy American Man.